I was just going to suggest we need to give a little clap for Jesus right there, right? Uh, you know, he's the reason that we're here. That's the reason that we gather together. We're going to talk about that in just a few minutes. Uh, my name is Rick. For those of you who don't know me, uh, I am one of the pastors here, and I spend the majority of my time at our Mount Laurel campus and get to come back here every uh, few weeks and uh, be with you, and it's been good to catch up. It's always, I always like when I come back because everybody's like, oh, it's so great to see you. You know, you, you, when I was here every week, you didn't say that. Uh, and so, uh, so that's great. Uh, also wanted you to know that... Um, my family, uh, when I told them I was going to be preaching in Voorhees, they all went to Mount Laurel without me. That didn't hurt, uh, and I'm okay with that. Uh, so they're, they're worshiping there at our other campus, and I love that we have uh, that kind of opportunity where we can uh, uh, be a church with two campuses. Uh, uh, I'm also excited to be here because I didn't know about this backdrop, and uh, I feel like a weather person. Uh, and want to share with you, there's a storm front coming through today and uh, should be nice, uh, sunny day, except for the clouds behind me. Uh, so we've been looking at the rule-breaking habits of Jesus over these last few weeks, looking at the things that Jesus did that in the first century would be uh, seen as inappropriate or offensive or maybe even just a little bit odd. Uh, like a few weeks ago, we talked about that Jesus had a habit of hanging out with people that other people wouldn't have hung out with. Like he spent time with children, he spent time with women, and in the first century, children and women would would have been on the lowest of the socio, uh, the social, uh, cultural ladder. They were at the bottom rung in a sense. He hung out with children and he hung out with women. He hung out with people who were deemed far from God, people who were not near God. And he offended the people who were at the top of the religious ladder, in a sense, those who felt that they were at the highest place. And so I've often said that when Jesus flipped over the tables in the temple, which is one of those things that he did, that was not the only thing he flipped over. He also flipped over a lot of the ways we look at, at, at people and the way people should be seen. And he flipped over the ladder and said, I'm going to spend, uh, spend time with those who would be at the lowest rung. And, and, and he did that often. He would break rules. He would offend people, especially the people in highest places. He would even ignore rules, and he would promote behaviors that the religious community would consider nightmarishly wrong in the eyes of the establishment. Jesus would break the rules to bless you. That's the kind of habits that Jesus had. This morning, we're going to look at one habit, one thing that Jesus did, and I think we could call it a habit because he did it throughout his time uh, uh, in his three years of ministry that was the most offensive thing that he did to the religious leaders. He called himself God. Jesus called himself God. As a matter of fact, that was the offense that got him crucified is that he called himself God and the religious community went out and made him their enemy and sought to have him crucified because what he said was blasphemous. He, uh, he encouraged his disciples to see him as God. He encouraged them to think that he was God. As a matter of fact, he questioned his disciples one time, and he said to them, who do you say that I am? And Peter responded, you're the son of the living God. And Jesus said, that's correct, and encouraged his disciples to look at him as God. 
Some of the things that Jesus said that created conflict with the religious establishment uh, in John's gospel, which is one of the four biographies we have of Jesus, John records, who he followed Jesus around, John records that at least 120 times Jesus referred to God as his father. 120 times. He said that he was present at the time of creation and that everything is created because of him. He used to forgive people's sins and he used to offer them eternal life, which was something only God could do. And he claimed that he was the same as God He said that to know him was to know God, and to hear him was to hear God, and to see him was to see God, and to experience him was to experience God. He even told the religious leaders that to hate me is to hate God, and to honor me is to honor God. In the first century, these things prompted the religious leaders to conspire against Jesus and to crucify him. It's what got him crucified. And in today's world, in the 21st century, he would be diagnosed as someone with a God complex. Jesus is God. It's this simple idea that I want to spend the next 20 minutes talking to you about. Something that is simple, but yet has implications for every area of our lives and our church. See, claiming to be God, Jesus left his followers and he left his enemies and he left us with a few limited options. When someone claims to be God, we really only have a few options with that. We can assume, first of all, that it's all smoke and mirrors, that they're a fraud, that they're evil, and that Jesus is a liar. That would be one option. If someone says they're God, an option is, yeah, they're lying. Another option, when someone says they're God, it's crazy talk, right? They're delusional. So Jesus is lying, Jesus may be crazy. The only other option is that Jesus is God. When Jesus claims to be God, he left no other valid explanations. He's either true or false. And this may seem real basic. It might even seem irrelevant, and you might even wonder who cares, but this has meaning for our lives. It's the reason that we're here. We sang just a few minutes ago songs that said things like, he's in control, I ran out of the grave, he'll hold on to you, and you, Jesus, are present with us. I wonder if you know him today. It's Jesus. We're going to do something in a few minutes. I'm actually going to make you clap, all right? Not because of something I say. I hope that's why, but because I'm going to tell you it's time to clap, okay? All right, so this is going to be an audience participation kind of thing. You got that? 
Are we on board? I have to tell you, the nine o'clock service really struggled with that. And I'm assuming it's because it was early, all right? Now, I only have to preach once in Mount Laurel because you only have one service. So I'm really bringing it this morning, all right? So, so I'm working overtime and I'm not getting paid extra for this, all right? So just so you know, all right? But I'm going to give you the best I have and you're going to clap when I say it's time to clap. You got it? All right, good. All right. <sighs> Now, so C.S. Lewis famously said, uh, talked about this idea that Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or, a, or the Lord, okay? And uh, we're going to have it up on the screen. He says this, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. He's talking about Jesus. People often say, uh, Lewis says, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing, Lewis says, we must not say. See, we can't say Jesus was human, but not God. He goes on, a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with the man who says he's a poached egg. Or else he would be the devil of hell. And then he says, you must make a choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. And later he says this, and it's not on the screen, just hear it. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit on him or kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about, him be, about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Now, C.S. Lewis was an atheist who had decided he wanted to discover and prove if God existed, and in his research, he came to the conclusion that there's only three options, right? Jesus is God, or he's crazy, or Jesus is lying about the whole thing. Now, it's interesting that about, about 100 years beforehand, uh, there's another guy by the name of John Duncan who had this same idea. And I'm curious and wonder if John Duncan's writings may have influenced Lewis, who was researching on whether or not Jesus really was God. Because Duncan said this, again, it's on the screen, Christ either deceived mankind by conscious fraud, or he was himself deluded and self-deceived, or he was divine. There was no getting out of this trilemma. Jesus was either a fraud and a liar. Jesus was delusional and crazy. Or Jesus is divine and the son of God. What we believe about Jesus has significant implications for our life and our church. This is probably the big, not probably, this is the biggest so what for us as followers of Jesus and as people of the church. Believing that Jesus is God, it's simple, but yet it has implications for every area 
of our life. The Apostle Paul, who was a religious leader who opposed Christianity and actually uh, was arresting people who followed Jesus, had an, an encounter with Jesus on a road. It's called the road to Damascus. As he was traveling, he encountered Jesus, and that in one encounter reoriented his whole life, and it changed where his life was headed, and he went from being someone who fought and arrested Christians to becoming a church builder and spreading and telling people about Jesus around the world. So he wrote a letter to this one church in Philippi, which is a church that he had founded, and he described Jesus this way, and again, it's up on the screen. He said, though he was God, Paul's made a decision here in this trilemma. Jesus was God. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, Jesus gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. And in those few short sentences, Paul states that Jesus is God, that Jesus is equal to God. It's not Jesus Jr. Jesus is God, that Jesus chose to give up all of his privileges as God. He divinely surrendered them, and he became a person, a human being, that as Louis Giglio has famously described, he became God wrapped in flesh. He became God so that we could get a hold of God. He became God so that we can touch and feel and understand and know what God is like. He became God wrapped in flesh. And that this God wrapped in flesh, this divine being who gave up his rights and became a human being, died on a cross for all of humanity. And in those short sentences there, Paul makes it very clear that Jesus is God. And this is it. This is simple with multiple implications for who we are. In the first century world of Jesus, this was blasphemy. In the 21st century world that we live in today, some people call it crazy. Some people call it a fairy tale. Some people call it irrelevant, and others call it offensive. I say that that's the reason that we're here this morning. That's the reason we sang songs, offered prayers. It's the reason I'm talking to you right now, is that we believe that Jesus is God. Are you on board with that right that Jesus is God we don't believe we don't believe he's lying we don't believe he's crazy the only other option is that Jesus is God it makes this place this place it's not our name or our vision or our strategies. It has nothing to do with who's on staff or who's on the platform. It has nothing to do with our music or our glass walls or our windows. It's all about Jesus being God. We believe this about Jesus. We have hope in Jesus. That's the reason we're here. That's why we're here. This is our hope that Jesus is God and God became a human being, that God chose to be wrapped in flesh and that Jesus lived and died and rose again and offers forgiveness to you and me. That's, he, that's why we're here. This is it. 
Jesus is God is the reason we have two campuses and why we're in Voorhees and why we're in Mount Laurel. Not because it's a great strategy, not because we are looking for something else to do, not because we wanted to expand our influence just because we're really nice people. No, because we believe Jesus is God. And because of that, we believe that there are people who are in this town, who are in that town, who are in the towns around that, who do not know Jesus. And we believe that Jesus being God is the most transformative thing in our lives. He makes all the difference in a person's life. And so that's why we pass out ice pops at National Night Out. Because we believe Jesus is God. That's why we have concerts at a park in Mount Laurel, and we'll have another one at Chick-fil-A, because we're going to meet people who right now may find the idea of Jesus being God as crazy or irrelevant. They may say, that's just a bunch of baloney. He's a liar. He's a lunatic. And we, as a church, stand together and say, no, Jesus is God. And he chose to die on a criminal's cross for me. And I have forgiveness and my life has changed. It's the reason I became a pastor. When I found out that no matter where I'd been, no matter what I'd done, no matter what I thought about God in the past could be forgiven, when I found out that my life could be changed and, there were, and that, that I could be part of something that was bigger than I could imagine, I was on board. And I thought, I'll give, I'll, I'll give my life to that. Uh, where do I sign up? And so there are people I talk about, they'll say, what was your calling? I'm like, I don't really know if I had one. I just kind of volunteered. I just was like, I'm in. I, if this is what we can do, if I can talk about Jesus and people, uh, people's lives can be changed, I'm in. Because I saw how my life was redirected. I was saved. And if I can do that for somebody else, I'm in. I'm in. Is that exciting or what? That's why we're here. That's the only reason. That's the only reason that we should be here. Jesus is God. Really. If Jesus is not God, then we should close the doors and sell the building. And we can all go volunteer at the Red Cross or somewhere other, some other good serving organization, and we could make a difference in our world just for making a difference sake. And we could just get together as a bunch of friends and go over to National Night Out and pass out popsicles. And we could go to Chick-fil-A anytime we want, except for Sundays. Anytime we want. But if Jesus is God, that changes everything because then we are the church. We believe that we have the greatest news ever. We believe that the good news of Jesus is the greatest news, that the good news is the greatest news. This is the clapping part. Is the good news the greatest news you've ever heard? 
that no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter what you thought about God in the past, no matter what you've thought before, that Jesus says, I love you. If you were the only person in all the world who had ever broken relationship with God, if you're the only one who had fractured your life and had, had separated yourself from God, if you were the only one, God still would have wrapped himself in flesh, God still would have gave up all of his rights, and God still would have come to planet Earth, and God still would have died a criminal's death just for you. But he chose to do it for all of humanity. Isn't that the greatest news ever? And that's why we are here this morning. It means if Jesus is God, as Paul said, then Jesus gave everything. If Jesus is God, Jesus being God left heaven, lived a fully human life, and died for you and me. If Jesus is God, that means that everything, everything I see, everything you see, everything we touch, everything we experience has been redeemed by Jesus' death and resurrection. Because the Bible tells us that when, 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 when sin happened, it broke everything. Everything got skewed. Everything was off kilter. Nothing looked as God as God had intended it. But when Jesus died on the cross, he died for all of humanity and all of creation. And it's all going to be put back together in the way that God designed it. So that means everything that I see and everything you see and touch and experience, we need to know that it all belongs to God. It all comes from God. And God is mending it and putting it all back which means I have to willingly give my life and belief to Jesus, that I can trust Jesus with everything, that my future, my finances, my family, everything can be handed over and put into the strong hands of Jesus who knows me and loves me and redeemed it all on the cross. If Jesus is God, that means that grace and forgiveness are real and is available to you and to me and to every person we will ever meet. There is no person you will ever come in contact with who Jesus did not die for. No person, not even on the highway. There is not a person you will come, the one who cuts you off that person, no matter who, no matter who you come in contact with, that person, Jesus died for them. It's the greatest good news ever. We don't need to apologize to people for our faith. There are some who believe Jesus is a fairy tale or that Jesus is irrelevant or Jesus is even offensive and that our belief is delusional or it's a fraud. And some people might say that we shouldn't challenge someone else's beliefs, that we shouldn't intrude on where someone else is, that we, shouldn't, that we should just mind our own business, that our faith is personal and we should keep it to ourselves. A few years ago, if you remember in the news, there was a uh, uh, 2016 about uh, there was a uh, uh, a drug company that was uh, that had a patent on EpiPens. Here's an EpiPens. My son's he's uh, uh, 24 years old. He has another one of these. I promise. Uh, uh, he's not here today, uh, but uh, uh, this is a spare one that happened to be in the medicine cabinet at home, and so I thought I'm going to bring it along as a little object lesson for us. 
So these EpiPens at the time, in about 2016, uh, there was a patent on the, actually the plastic injector that this is, not the, not the medicine inside of it. And that drug company was raising the prices and making uh, a profit on them. And it was discovered that there were people who could not afford to purchase EpiPens. And in the news, it was said, how could we as a culture allow people who to not have something that would save their life? And there was outrage over it. And because of that, there was pressures put on, on the drug companies and the prices were dropped. And we were all said, that's how it should be. That people who need something to save them because they're having an allergic reaction to peanut butter or my son is bees. Uh, an allergic reaction that, and we can resolve that, provide for them. Of course we'd want to do that, right? So there are people, and I know sometimes when you use object lessons, they break down really fast. So I know this could, so don't tell me the lobby it broke down. Just, just hear me out. There are people in our neighborhoods. There are people in our workplaces. There are people we go to school with, people in our, the, in our families. And they are experiencing an allergic reaction to sin. They're living broken and fractured lives. And we're holding the EpiPen. See, because if we've experienced the love and the forgiveness of Jesus, we have a responsibility to share that with the people that we come in contact with. That the lives that we live need to be lived outside these walls. And I know we do that, and we, but we need to continue to do that. This is supposed to be an inspirational message, all right? Is that we need to be in living our lives outside, engaging in life and conversation so that we can Tell others about Jesus. Because there are people in Voorhees and there are people in Mount Laurel and there are people in the town surrounding us and they are experiencing a reaction to sin in their lives. And it is as real as any allergic reaction that you would experience from bees or peanut butter or any other allergen. And it is wreaking havoc in our world. And sin's effects are running rampant. People are hurting. And you and I know about Jesus. And we've experienced Jesus. And we can live our lives in front of people so that they can see Jesus. And we need to be sharing Jesus. And I debated at the last service. I said, I'm not sure how I'm going to say this. And I just said it because I said, I'm going back to Mount Laurel next week anyway. <laughs> so I'm going to do it this time too. I would suggest that when we don't share Jesus, it's the most hate-filled thing we could do. If we've discovered that life-giving goodness and we're going to hold on to it, that's hate-filled. It's the simple message. Jesus is God. 
profound and deep implications for how we live our lives. We're going to celebrate communion together. Communion is a remembrance that Jesus is God. That Jesus, as God, wrapped in flesh, died on a cross for you and for me. And so as we prepare for communion together, I want us to pray together a prayer of confession. It's going to be up on the screen. Let's pray together. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart or our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and humbly repent. Forgive us, we pray. Teach us to delight in your will and walk in your ways through your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So on that night, this was the last night that Jesus was with his disciples. He uh, went to the table, or they were sitting at a table, and on the table was, uh, was bread, and he took the bread and he broke it. And while he was breaking the bread, he said to his disciples, this, this bread represents my body. Now, Jesus was doing a very Jesus is God kind of thing in that moment, all right? He was really taking uh, some uh, uh, privilege in this way, is that they were participating in a centuries-old tradition of Passover meal, which followed a very detailed and specific script. But Jesus went off script. He said, this, this, this bread is broken and it represents my body. In other words, he was telling his disciples, I know that sin has broken you and I'm willing to be broken for you. So then later in the meal, he took a cup and the cup was on the table. And again, it was a cup that was part of the Passover service and celebration. And again, Jesus went off script. He changed the centuries-old tradition. He said, this cup represents my blood, which is a new covenant between you and God. See, previously, the Passover was a remembrance of the Israelites being rescued by Egypt. Jesus was saying, this is a remembrance that you will be rescued from your sin by me. A new covenant. And all who drink of it, all who are willing to be part of it, all who choose to believe will be part of that community of faith. And so here at Hope, we celebrate an open table, which means that anyone here present is invited to be part of and participate in our, our communion celebration. There's no membership. There's no, uh, there's no uh, 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 special privileges that you need to participate. It's just a decision to choose to follow after Jesus, and you're invited to participate in our communion. You'll be uh, by an usher in a few minutes. You'll be invited forward, and you'll come to one of three communion stations, one, two, and three, and you'll be directed there. And when you're there, you'll be handed a piece of bread, and then you'll dip it into the cup, and then you'll cycle back to your seat. Uh, if you have uh, an allergy and prefer a gluten-free station, on the far right, or my right, your left, at the prayer wall is a gluten-free station. When the, when the ushers dis, uh, invite you to come forward, you can make your way over to that gluten-free station. If you have a handicapping condition and you're unable to come forward, if you let one of the ushers know, we can serve you communion at your seat. And I, I'm, at Mount Laurel, there's different instructions. 
And after we serve the servers, then you'll be invited forward. So the table of the Lord is open. So Jesus is God. And it has vast implications for our life and our church. Will you stand with me? Instead of a prayer, I want to offer a blessing to you. May you, may you go knowing that there's a God that loves you with his whole heart. His name is Jesus. Jesus is God. He's God wrapped in flesh. He knows every detail of your life, your past, your present, and even your future. He knows the good, the bad, and the ugly, and he chooses to love you, and his desire is to forgive you. May you know that. It's as simple as just believing in Jesus. May you know that, and may you know that there's a world out there that's broken and fractured and skewed and misaligned, filled with people who Jesus died for. May you know that the life you live can represent Christ in such a way that their lives can be changed by Jesus as well. That the conversations that you have can be conversations that will lead to lives being changed for Jesus. May you know that as you go throughout your day, your week, in the places you work and shop, may you know that Jesus is in you and that you represent Christ to the world. Amen. Have a great day.